The Tuffle Commute, Season 13, Episode 3, in which Sean and I meet on the plateau. Lindsay, over here. Sean. Yeah. Okay. Coming, 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 coming. Wow. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Okay. Wow. What? What what is this place? Lindsay, it's a plateau. A plateau. And what are we doing here? Well, we're talking about plateaus, of course. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Tuffle Commute. Um, this is a language teaching podcast for language teachers, but the topic of language teaching doesn't always come up. I am your host, Lindsay Kleinfield, and I'm joined by... By me. And just to prove a point, he's changed the tagline again. <laughs> I have changed the tagline again. Um, and uh, to each, each episode, we take a topic and we explore the topic. And in our first little dramatic reenactment at the beginning of our show, our topic today is plateaus because that's actually very connected to language teaching isn't it it is i can't see how we're not going to avoid language teaching in this episode if i'm perfectly <laughs> no, honest i don't well is there a way what is a plateau is there a way that we could talk about a plateau well without i being did like... i mean i did uh, yeah i mean obviously a plateau is a flat elevated landform that rises sharply above the surrounding area on at least one side Plateaus occur on every continent and take up a third of the Earth's land, which I actually found a very surprising fact. Wow. Okay. Did you know, Lindsay, know there are two kinds of plateaus. No, I didn't. What kinds are there? There is a dissected plateau and a volcanic plateau. Uh, um, What's so the difference? One, obviously, <laughs> so obviously, one is formed by uh, volcanic ac action, small volcanic eruptions over time, and the lava creates uh, the plateau. And the other, the dissected one, is the upward, uh, upward movement of the Earth's crust. And uh, since um, this season seems to be about quizzes, here's a quick quiz question for you. Where is the largest plateau in the world? Uh, let's say it's somewhere in America. No, it, it is the Tibetan Plateau, located in Central Asia, and it, uh, it stretches through Tibet, China, and India. And get this, it is 2.5 million square kilometers um, um, around, which is four times the, state, the, the size of Texas. There you go. Oh, wow. National Geographic, okay. eh? <laughs> Good old National cool. Geographic. So there, that's plateaus. But of course, in English is language that you, teaching... Is that what you want to talk about? <laughs> no. <laughs> in English language teaching, the plateau is something completely different. In fact, you have your dissected plateaus, your volcanic plateaus, and then you have the intermediate plateau, which is a phenomenon in language learning where... Well, I think we're going to talk about what happens... Uh, wh whether or not this is a thing, uh, how do you get to the intermediate plateau? What is the intermediate plateau? Should we just start with it's that? It, sound, it makes it sound like an achievement, like when you say it like that. How do you get <laughs> to the intermediate plateau? I climbed Everest last week, and this week <laughs> yes, I'm getting I to the, I, the intermediate I plateau. Whatever, I climbed English file. 
elementary and English file pre-intermediate. And after uh, 55 hours and a few exams, I am now with the plateau. I have made, I planted my flag on top of the intermediate plateau. Exactly. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, what is what is I mean, do you did you find in your you've done a bit more research on this than I have? Did you find in your research the origins of this plateau thing? When? I mean, not necessarily origins. I think that there's um, perhaps because it's free to download and widely circulate. There's a, there's a really good PDF uh, by uh, Jack Richards, um, which we'll put them in the on the website for it. And he quotes uh, Fanny, and you can actually find the work of Fanny uh, on the internet as well. The paper which it was taken from. And I think he uh, succinctly puts uh, what uh, what a plateau is. Uh, so an EFL learner, uh, and well, he said the reasons for basically. So a, a typical EFL learner uh, starts learning language possibly out of curiosity, uh, and you know, and, and in the early stages of language learning, you kind of learn language you can immediately use if you think about it, and you've probably written many of these. Hello, how are yes. you? Yeah. Uh, you know that immediate use kind of language, uh, and a lot of that um, that that early language. Um, so beginner, pre-intermediate, A1, uh, A2. If you if you use the common uh, European framework, is is about actually uh, memorizing and repeating and imitating that language. So it's kind yeah. of quite easy, uh, and uh, so therefore it doesn't actually matter how you're learning that language, what kind of methodology you're being exposed to. You will learn that piece of language, and it's motivating. It's it's easy to remember. And you get on with it, um, but there becomes a point where obviously language um, suddenly becomes a lot more difficult, and uh, communication actually kicks in rather than you know in, in, rather than uh, memorizing and repeating. You actually begin to communicate. So then they suddenly realize after a couple of years of doing this that actually they don't know what they think they know, which causes yep. them stress and anxiety, uh, which causes demotivation, and means that they kind of give up language learning, and so they're stuck at that level. And then arguably they come back, you know, a year passes or so, they come back again, start again, and the cycle repeats itself, you know, so you get- And that's, that's, that's forever. The cycling of, 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 of getting past that initial kind of like thrill of like, wow, I can say this and, and it works, you know, and they yeah, said yeah. back and stuff and until it starts getting more complex and then it sort of, you, you kind of go backwards. Yeah. Yeah, really. Yeah, um, you just suddenly realise that you know that it's difficult, and you don't know what to say, and you don't have the language. I think we'll we'll probably go into more detail in this uh, very shortly. But yeah, this idea that um, that you're there and that you're stuck. Yep. Now what? <laughs> and I think <laughs> it's also. I, I mean, the the intermediate plateau is also, isn't it? Also, partly to do with sort of. I guess this is a part about the acquisition of language. How how yeah it goes quite it goes a little bit more quickly at the beginning yeah. and then and then there is that kind of stagnation period before the like, brakes come on get hit on don't they because, yeah i mean especially yeah. if you're i mean arguably i mean there is an argument that nobody's a real beginner of, of english because everybody's exposed to english around the world in all forms but you know if you are actually a complete beginner then you you are taking on so much language in that in that in those yeah. first year, year or so and I think the the intermediate plateau is interesting for two other uh, two other reasons. One is um, a lot of I believe like the English, the not English, just any language learning solutions, uh, and we could go back to like language learning cassettes or language learning methods or indeed now apps, technology, lots of those things often had higher yields of of success and and retention at the early levels and then it becomes really hard 
after a certain level is, is sort of um, is sort of reached because I think I think a lot of these things uh, like sort of miraculous methods of learning English or uh, technology uh, driven like apps and algorithms and stuff um, are can be quite good for that sort of memorize listen repeat uh, it reacts back to you uh, yeah and, and there's a lot of, and it's, it's interesting that there is a, a lot of the research in in the plateau um, comes out of uh, countries like China where one would argue that, that those 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 kind of almost stimulus response type of um, learning, which is essentially what a language app is, isn't it? It's, yeah. Know, a, a, um, so stimulus response uh, methodologies uh, still persist. So yeah. so and and, um, and they have their they have their place at the at the beginning, but they still they run into that problem of the plateau, don't they? And that's also when people will kind of drop off of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I but think. I, I mean. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's interesting as well that we talk about the cyclical nature of it, because um, you know, if a student comes in again, I remember it from when I worked in the Czech Republic. So the student drops out and they come back and they they kind of say, "Well, I want to go back into a one," and they do a one again, and it's, they get the motivation back because they've already done it as well. So yeah. you know, these yeah. people are in that. And like, oh, I've learned this, and I could do this, and then you know, they forget this quite hard. So then they suddenly get you know, for they they're in that whole cycle of like, "Oh, I can do this. I'm good," and then they get to the bit they can't. They, and drop out. I but think this also, the concept of the plateau also uh, helps to explain why, and I've had sort of novice teachers ask me this, you know, why we have, for example, certain levels of the European framework can't be done as quickly as others. So like, yeah. uh, like, and you see this with courses. So you have an A1 course, like, which is a year, let's say 60 hours or 70 hours yeah. or whatever, an A2 course, which could be the same, a B1 course, but then often you now more and more have a B1 plus. And the B2 also can be longer. Yeah. And so I think this is to kind of take into account that when you get to that level, it's not as easy. You can't do a whole B1 in the same amount of time you can do an A2 as a language there's, class. There, there's, kind of, there's a certain cynicism from the paying client, though, that says, well, you're making me, you know, just trying to get more money out of me. <laughs> there there, there is that as well. Uh, but I was, I was going to say that also course books do actually, I think, and we could talk about this later, and you've, you've written many of them, but course books kind of, I think, accentuate the plateau because of the repetition that needs to be built yes. into them. Yeah, um, yeah. No, so, it's like it's like leaning into the plateau. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Second yeah. game that you're going to be there, and I think we can look at um, advantages and disadvantages of that l later. The only question I also kind of wonder about the plateau sometimes is: is the plateau a bad place to be? Like, is it is it is the plateau? Or are we meant to imagine that the plateau is a cold and desolate place where up far above you can see like the green grass and the sun shining and people yeah. playing? And jumping around or is the plateau like a grassy quite pleasant plateau like a kind of you know like like um like a, a purg not a purgatory whatever like at the pearly gates whatever that that, that you know sort of a, a, an antechamber which isn't too bad actually because if i think about english as an international language and sort of for people who aren't wanting to study or necessarily work 100% in English, but they are, they want enough English that they can kind of move around, they can understand some basic things, you know, maybe the plateau is fine for them. And for example, for me, I'd be quite happy with a plateau level of German. Like I, I wouldn't need more. I'd like to learn no. more German, but I wouldn't need more. I want, I live it, in Spain. It, it's so interesting though. I mean, we, are, we almost fulfilled that at the beginning with our little sketch as we started this podcast. We, we, we portrayed the, 
the plateau in a negative sense. It was windy yes. and it was cold. Windy and, and cold, cold and, and you and, were huddled and, around the fire. And, and from, you know, and from, and as we shall, we will go on and talk about in this podcast episode, and, and if you start doing all the reading, from a teacher point of view, it's, it's very much portrayed as a negative thing. Um, yep. But I wonder if there is a case that it is actually that, you know, that there is, as you said, I mean, I would be quite happy to be uh, at the intermediate plateau of of several languages because it means if I go to if we can ever travel again, go to those countries, I could probably do enough basic things to to in, you know in, to get by in that country. Yeah, um, exactly, exactly. And also, I think the other thing is, as a teacher, it's often portrayed as something negative because you want your students to get up higher, and it's also problematic for exams, let's say. But when I think of teachers, like when I think of myself as a teacher teaching those intermediate plateau level learners. If you take out the stress of an impending exam or that they need to get to a certain level, if you remove that, it's actually a lot of fun because they have enough language to actually do some things, but not so much language that you have no idea what to do with them. You know, like when you have C1 level learners, it gets harder to sort of do correction slots or to sort of decide what you're going to focus on. Whereas the plateau, there's you have enough language to do all kinds of discussion tasks, games, things like that, but there's not so much language that you don't have new things to learn. And do you think it is, I mean, like the intermediate plateau, I mean, is that, do you think it is that level of it? I ask, because I, I, um, there's uh, somebody, a colleague, actually, an ex-colleague well, colleague of mine online, uh, and she writes a lot about the proficiency plateau. That they yeah. Do, do, oh, a are there plateau. two plateaus? Yeah, because I, I, mean, I think two? we all talk about the intermediate plateau. Yeah, I think but, we do, because that's where most of our learners would have reached. But, but I guess if you but, taught higher level, from what C1 to C2, you mean? Yeah, I mean, the whole argument is, you know, that by the time you've got to that to to that level, you're at C1, C2 level, you're basically, you've been learning language, what, 10 years? Uh, you know, so w w what is there left to learn? What are you going to learn? And so you get into like, that kind of negative cycle again. And yeah. you start learning, you know, about nuance and, you know, uh, and a lot more expressions, you know, so you suddenly start unpicking the language you did know, because all of a sudden it's got another meaning, you know, pragmatically yeah. and semantically yeah, 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 it's all pulled yeah. apart. <laughs> so wow. um, it, it's interesting that we, that we always associate it with that kind of middle level, but perhaps it's a, it's, you know, that you, there's a plateau, then a bit, another, you know, the mountain goes on a little bit if we're going to stay down that analogy. Yeah. Well, all this talk about intermediate makes me think that we need to call on someone to tell us a bit more about what intermediate is and what it is. You mean was. Mr. Wordbuster himself? Exactly. Greetings, listeners. The Wordmaster is back with a look at the words we language teachers use and where they come from. It's time to get stuck in the middle with the word intermediate. As I'm sure you know, we use this term to refer to a student's proficiency in the language, usually referring to the four skills of reading, writing, listening and speaking. It is divided into categories, pre-intermediate, intermediate and upper-intermediate. But what does it actually mean? Well, one assessment service, who shall remain nameless, admit that their criteria, which they've been using for 35 years, isn't based on any particular theory, pedagogical method or educational curriculum. Make of that what you will. Things have become a bit more well thought out recently with the introduction of the Common European Framework of Languages, which define intermediate, or B1 as they call it, as a student who can understand the main points in subjects such as work, school or leisure related topics, 
can deal with most situations likely to arise while traveling in an area where the language is spoken, can produce simple connected texts on topics that are familiar or of personal interest, can describe experiences and events, dreams and hopes and ambitions, as well as opinions or plans in brief. In other words, they are somewhere between a beginner and advanced, which makes sense as the word originates from the medieval Latin word meaning lying between. It can also be used as a verb connected to mediation and the idea of someone getting between two parties to reconcile differences, which, let's be honest, sounds like something teachers have to do sometimes. There we have it, a brief look at intermediate. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Wordmaster, which I'm sure you agree was far from the middle of the road and was undoubtedly on another level. We now know. We now know what intermediate means. So there we go. We can all or, work or with where that. it came from, at least. Well, yeah. All right. So let's. Um, so we're good, so we're acquainted. with obviously intermediate in uh, in common European framework uh, is B one. So if those of you who are not familiar with that, if Lindsay and I are talking about that, then then um, that's what we mean. Okay. So the B one, B B two plateau. All right. Um, well, tell tell me more about the plateau. Like, what 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 does the plateau mean? You said it means that this is a cycle thing, but are there other things that so we should Richard, know about the plateau? In, in the paper that I mentioned in the first part, and, and and I do recommend that people, if people are new to the plateau, and want to learn more about it, downloading this because it is it's a lovely free resource. Um, so Richard identifies five areas that kind of contribute to the plateau. Okay, okay. shoot. Uh, so he talks about the gap between receptive and productive competence. You know, in other words, um, you, you kind of got okay at listening and reading. Um, oh, wow. This will sound familiar you, to teachers. The person who can't read actually and listen and understand <laughs> stuff, but they don't they don't like to talk that much. Or yeah, exactly. Is... Although I always find, I find that interesting because uh, I'm, I'm not sure about my Czech, but that would be the best language, I, second language I speak yeah. now. I could speak better. I'd have a go more than I would with reading and listening sometimes. But anyway, there was still a, a gap there. Uh, fluency uh, has um, progressed, but at the, uh, the at the expense of complexity. So, and 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 I find this as I can I can see myself um, having said this before. You know, like w when people put things in, and it's not quite a B one term or a B two term. And we've talked in the podcast before about language being graded to a certain level these days. Yeah. Um, by course books and that. Um, but this idea that. You can speak at this level, but all of a sudden you're expected to speak at this next level, and it causes uh, this complexity causes issues, and therefore fits into his third area, which is learners have a limited vocabulary range. Um, so they've learned all this lower level vocabulary, but and they can't progress anymore uh, with it. They they've not progressed sufficiently enough in 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 advanced vocabulary and usage. Uh, his fourth point would be that uh, language uh, production is adequate but lacks the characteristics of natural speech. Yeah. Um, so they sound too formal or they sound too like they're reading from a book. Yeah. And then his, his uh, fifth one is there are persistent fossilized uh, language errors. And fossilization, of course, for those that are not sure what it is, it's a kind of a, a, an error that's stuck in the head and arguably no amount of correction will, will get rid of it. Although um, I actually saw another paper which um, which argues the idea of fossilized language errors uh, and says, well, actually, they're not fossilized. They're probably temporary fossilized because they're on the plateau and they can still yeah, be Yeah, the undone. fossilization metaphor I always found was a bit, was very negative. Like the fossilized error 
you know, I, I, I kind of saying that to a learner, sort of like condemning it. It's because like, so does that mean I'm I'm done? Like it's a fossilized error. I can't fix it. Just like I can't bring a dinosaur to life from a fossil. You know, I always <laughs> found it was sort of, it was sort of a downer. It's like, oh, you know what? Too bad. It's, you know, the condition is <laughs> terminal. Fossilized. <laughs> you're, you're fossilized. You're more fossilized than a Tyrannosaurus Rex, my friend. Um, uh, but, but there uh, are there are I mean, I know I know some very uh, you know absolute um, proficient speakers of English who have some wonderful quirk fossilized errors, and they know yeah. you know their language teaches themselves. And they know they've got this error indulging them, and it just you know it's so quite, it becomes it's quite part nice of their point of identity. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, coming. Exactly. I mean, obviously, part of the plateau is talking about how we get off the plateau, and um, uh, you know, you know, like one of the things is just go stay sticking at it for longer, and uh, with time, you eventually uh, come off it, which is why sort of we have. Uh, two levels of intermediate in courses or or you know a teacher would say well you just need to practice more and so on um one interesting thing though and i found this um from reading scott thornbury's blog uh where in reference to the plateau he talks about and others have written about this as well uh, diane larson freeman being the main one talks about turning points so this is sort of like uh, we know now that language learning isn't completely linear. So, in fact, even the idea of the plateau, if you were drawing a graph of a yeah. plateau, of it like going up, 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 and then a long straight line, and then up, up, up again, this doesn't, um, this, this isn't exactly how language learning works. It kind of goes forward and backward. And again, that cycle that you mentioned. But um, part of the spurts forward um, are sometimes called turning points. This is what um, Thornbury uh, talks about. Uh, and this is related to um, complex systems theory. So um, okay. these are what are known as phase shifts. So Larson Freeman um, used an example of a horse. So a horse is, is um, walking and then when it changes from walking, it starts trotting, from trotting to cantering, and so on, until it's galloping. And, yeah, yeah. and this is, um, oh gosh, I'm going to read you the quote, okay, and oh, see please. if I can make sense of it myself. So a phase shift is the result of self-organization. It's the dynamic properties of the system that lead it to happen, not some external organizing force. So it's not like there's um, this phase shift where you suddenly jump in language. It's like your, it's like your mind has reorganized and the muscles have reorganized into a different form, if you see what I mean, yeah? Um, as, I opposed to, as opposed to, as opposed to uh, using the metaphor of the petty dropping or of unlocking a door and then just going up. It's more like, it's more like the, um, the things have moved around, have shifted around and propelled you forward. Um, and the things that are conditions to that are conducive to a phase shift is often a period of instability where the system is on the brink of chaos. And this is what is known as the tipping point or the turning point. So when you get to that tipping point, it's that's when that system is conducive and ripe for you to sort of jump forward. So things get worse before they get better. Well, maybe. Oh, God, we're going to go back into talking about um, flattening the curve and stuff like that. My brain interpreted that. I know. As I was reading it, I was thinking of I was thinking of a viral spread as well. But actually, that's quite interesting because because I'm 
what occurred to me apart from virus virus spread is almost um, natural language is, is acquisition theory isn't it you know if you think yeah. about if you think about acquisition theory and little kids and the way they learn language you know you it's kind of like no, no you know this typical um trope that you read in a book of like no amount of language correction is going to get a kid to use in a regular pass you know they'll always yeah. sort of add ed to it and it's that kind of thing they'll like, keep doing it keep doing it keep doing it until they suddenly then all of a sudden, it, like, yeah. it unlocks, yeah. yeah. And I think this has also been studied in how people learn to read um, and how suddenly um, readers, it's, it's been studied in literacy, how suddenly readers will start, will go from like a little bit and all of a sudden something will unlock and all of a sudden the letters make sense. The, you, can, you can form the letters together. You, you start going quicker and quicker. And that is also supposed to be a phase shift in literacy. Um, in terms enough, of... My son's going through that at the moment, so I can <laughs> <laughs> in terms of first language acquisition, the phase shift explains why, I'm, I'm quoting again from Larson Freeman and Cameron here, um, why lexical spurts, so um, bursts of lexis, precede the onset of grammatical development. So it seems that a critical mass of vocabulary is necessary before the grammar coalesces, which would then, which would, which would coincide with what you were saying about getting beyond the uh, plateau is you haven't got enough words yet. You haven't mm. got the, you haven't got like the, the critical mass of Lexus to be able to, to trigger that little boom to start reorganizing the system. Two things there, then. One, doesn't phase shift sound like it's something out of Star Trek? Oh, yeah, and... yeah totally. And I can just keep thinking of, like, X-Men or things like that. Like, yeah. you know, like, you're ready for your transformation, and then all of a sudden, like, the student arches back, and they're like, Argh! and then they've suddenly... And so they're really, really kind of, the the point <laughs> point was that, again, um, again, it's another argument in that you tend to get students who perceive language as knowing the grammar. Uh, yeah, and and we, uh, I think we we would both agree that vocabulary is as important, if not more important, and and that what what you're quoting there from Larson Freeman kind of is, says that as well, doesn't it? That, yeah, I love that it, the idea that a critical mass of vocabulary is necessary before the grammar coalesces, um, because obviously you would have been getting this vocabulary not just from like reading a dictionary. You'd have been kind of like, and again, we come back to our old acquisition argument. You know that you're slowly getting it sort of by osmosis i suppose i don't know May, that's okay, also kind of reminding me as well of the work of um, howie and uh, lexical priming you know the, yes the, the, yes exactly the, the words are set up to, for the grammar rather than the grammar yeah. being set up for the words uh, i'll finish gosh, with the last is this our most teachery episode ever <laughs> i know like, we're, we're, we're totally good we're sounding we're, like other english language we, teaching we, podcasts we, so. i know with the like your tephalology your heart out here we are <laughs> yep. Um, let me just finish with another quote here that I really liked. Um, it's about the non-linearity of language. Oh, yeah, go on. Non-linearity. <laughs> right? I'll say that a third time. Non-linearity. Um, so this non-linearity has implications. If we want to understand how language progresses, we have to pay attention to when these abrupt transitions occur and how they could be captured and to find out if there are particular con conditions or prompts that trigger them. Gosh, it sounds so scientific. Um, and also that you need to expect these plateau periods and keep providing support to learners, even though there seems to be no progress. So it's like you yeah, keep, I, I think you keep watering the, the vegetable patch, <laughs> yeah, knowing that the tomatoes will soon come out. Chuck some more vocabulary at them and see if it helps. Um, yeah, but yeah, but it's kind of um, but that, um, what was I going to say? Going feeding back into this idea of the negativity, I think 
the oh no they've reached the intermediate plateau attitude of rather than oh yes they're at the intermediate plateau i know what to do about that now is is a different is a, is a completely yes. different mindset and, and would help the students uh yeah. with it Look, yes exactly I mean, all, all, all this face shifting is making me want to hear an algorithm i don't know why but the, i think it's the, the spacey trippiness of it let's do should it we should we take a pause yeah Welcome to The Algorithm. The Algorithm brings you the best in example language sentences found on the web and language learning apps. Each is tailored and randomized, especially for you. Your sentence for today is... The Green Owl is trying to come up with new sentences. The green owl is trying to come up with new sentences. Right. I wonder if that. I wonder if the algorithm is ever going to hit a plateau, or whether. <laughs> no, I, d- I doubt it. They'll just. I, I, what, what I don't know. I don't think the algorithm will phase shift into something else, or we're real in real trouble. Like that's the sing- <laughs> that's a that's a singularity of language learning there. Um, Got a. Okay, so we talked about it. How we're going to fix it? Is that what you want to do? What I want to know now is what what kind of stuff do we tell teachers to do about the plateau? About um, uh, obviously people have written about. I mean, so far we've said embrace the plateau, and uh, maybe there will be um, you know, whatever a phase shift or you know a trans transmutation or you know (laughs) a a, a, a morphing into something else. Episode one. <laughs> but um but I maybe we can have that, more practical solutions. The, 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 I don't know if it's practical or not, but the bit that the bit that interests me about this, and I think it's interests me about this because I happen to be um doing some um research into um literacy feedback literacy at the moment. Okay. Um and there is there is a point here in the in the idea that uh, the feedback um is only if, if you don't know if a student doesn't know how to what to do with feedback they, there's no point in giving giving them it if you know mm-hmm. what i mean yeah you can yeah. present all that but it's kind of i think this is this feeds in there if you go back to your face shift you talk about uh last improvement talks about the uh the result of self-organization and yes. i think there is this idea that uh, i think one of the reasons one of the things that needs to be done to to help overcome the plateau is actually uh, explain it to the students or talk about it with the students. Yeah, and yeah. Give them the tools by which they can overcome this. And if they do, if they understand where they're at, why why they are there, and what what they need to what they can do to overcome it, and understand that process, then um, then it will help them take those um, what we call them spurts forward yes. uh, a little bit. So I think within that, then one of the things that that needs to be faced is the personality of the learner. Yeah, you know. Um, it's as simple as that. That if the person if the person's going to get switched off, then they'll switch off. But what can we try? I guess it's the closed mindset and open. You know, open. Oh right, we're back to mindsets. Okay, mindset stuff uh, with it. Um, um, the one of the uh, I can't remember which paper it was that I read. I will quote it properly on the on the website. But they suggest that um, that the plateau can be overcome by continual consolidation and reinforcement. Okay. Do you, do you think that, that makes but sense? That would, yes. that would feed into your. That would feed in some way into the course book repetition as well. I think. Yep. 
Oh, well, good. Um, I'm glad we got a good plug for a course book there. there yes, there's there well, consolidation and reinforcement. Don't keep, keep, keep you out of work too long. Yeah. Uh, integrity, um, so integrative treatment of language items and skills, which would make sense again, because you've just talked about vocabulary. And if yeah. there is a gap between the skills, the two things put together, there you go. Um, increase of expressive activities. You know, let the people speak. Give them opportunities. <laughs> yes. I like uh, that. Uh, well, it's true. I mean, again, yeah. it, it, I mean, these sounds sound uh, um, it probably sounds a bit silly, but we can get fixated, especially when you're looking at vocabulary and grammar, on on um, on churning out memorization kind of rote activities rather than That's activities true. in the classroom. And I the, think this the, again coming back to and uh, dumping again on 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 apps, which which again I will say have have their place at that beginning maybe. level. But this is it's the lack of being able to do the expressive activities and exactly. sort of the yeah. fluency that is that is hard for our our dear algorithm. You know, yeah, that, I they, mean, they can, all, all all the stuff that we 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 uh, we mock in the algorithm. As, as, I mean, but the, the apps from which we, we take those sentences have their place, but they are simply sentence-building apps, aren't they? They're yeah. translation sentence-building apps. They're not about fluency. And fluency yeah. is, is, so again, other steps to overcoming is really ensuring fluency um, almost before accuracy in, in, in some cases yeah. uh, to, to help it. Yeah. Uh, with it yeah. uh and then i think the last part would almost be well i've got two more points one uh and i think this has been on trend for a while the idea of noticing language getting the students yes. teaching the students how to notice um, i think part of that then if we're tying it into the turning points in the plateau is one hopes that maybe there's an idea that for some people some learners that noticing is the trigger is the thing yeah. that suddenly unlocks or, or or prompts the phase shift are we, we but, just but, but going back to how I started yeah. this part, it's no point in doing. You know, you 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 have to, the teacher has to walk their student through that point. Yeah. Um. And then just expect that they will notice, or you know, uh, or say, well, underline all these verbs or whatever isn't isn't noticing in itself. It you know it takes more steps and it takes it takes them to be teaching them how to how to learn. In other words, is is important. So it was noticing, and the other one is probably uh, sounds a bit crashing-esque, you know, like an appropriate input that that, that things are appropriate for the learner. Um, yeah. You know, so that they will see into it, which uh, to me sounds like basic tenets of teaching. To be perfectly yes. honest. Yep. So we've just come back to we just keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> but, do it and, <laughs> but tell them why you're doing it and help yes. them get through it. Um, yeah. uh, is it no? Sounds good. Okay. Shall we uh, take a little break before we finish off? Okay, one more break. Go on, then. Hey, everyone. Sandy here to say thanks for listening. And just to let you know that if you want to say thanks for all the episodes that the Tuffle Commute team have given you for free, we'd be really grateful. The show will always be free, but there are some costs involved. So if you'd like to help out, go to buymeacoffee.com slash Commute and buy us a coffee. Thanks very much. Well, we've been on the plateau for some time now. The fire has gone out, Sean. It sounds like oh, it's no. almost at the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I feel that um, my position in this podcast team as the joke teller, I've lost oh, my position oh as quiz setter. So I'm, I'm going to make it, I think I need to make a claim for, for, for being the joke teller. So we started with the geographical definition of plateau. So I thought I oh, would finish oh, okay. the podcast now, now, 
<laughs> All <laughs> right, finish the podcast with a with a couple of geographically themed jokes. Are you ready? So, because this is an audio medium, and those of you cannot see what I'm doing, I am uh, metaphorically putting on my backpack and getting ready to walk off into the freezing cold plateau uh, while while Sean is uh, reciting his jokes. But go ahead, John. Well, Lindsay, you should be careful doing that because um, this season we've had we've got new guest presenters and they do a good job. So you know, <laughs> you might, we might just tell you to walk off. Anyway, here we go. Right, here we go. If you don't laugh, then we'll see. So geographical jokes. Here we go. Uh, what did the sea say to the shore? The what? The, the sea. You know, the ocean. What did the sea? There's a geographical thing. Say to the shore. I, I don't know. Thing. See you. Something like see you later. Nothing. Or... It just waved. Oh. oh my God. Okay. How, All right. How, how do mountains see? How do what? How do mountains see? That's S to believe, by the way, because we just have seen the word. How do mountains see? I don't know. With their eyes. No, they peek. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. All, All right. right what what did the rock say to the, ge the geographer? What did the rock say to the geographer? What I don't know, Sean. What did the rock say <laughs> don't to the? Take me for granite. <laughs> anyway, and the last one. Last one is just one of these sentence jokes. Mountains. They would be on a meme. Mountains aren't just funny. The hill areas. <laughs> Okay, that's Brilliant. it. You realize, I'm going you back that, into the cold. That's it. You realize I, I actually have a degree in geography. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so, so for me, they're hilarious. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Um, if you don't hear from what me, I, I... <laughs> I've reclaimed my, my place. I'm lost. Yeah. I'm lost on the plateau now. Bye bye. All I, right, I'll, everyone. I'll throw another log on when you decide to come back. <laughs> bye, everybody. See ya. Bye. See you next episode. As your commute is coming to an end, here is an activity you can take into class to help your intermediate students. Ask the students to record a speaking activity and then ask them to type up part of it. They can then correct any errors or errors for improvement that they can see in the text. After they are happy with their new version, they can then try the speaking activity again putting their ideas into practice. You've been listening to The Tevil Commute, an original podcast produced and presented by Lindsay Clanfield, Sean Wilden and James Taylor. You can support this podcast at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Tevil Commute. Don't miss out on any episodes by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or on your podcast player of choice and by visiting us at tevilcommute.com com oh, Lindsay hi um sorry Lindsay um I gotta stop Lindsay you still there